Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity you have to come before you and to look at the word and, and see what you'd have to teach us from that. And we just thank you for it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 17. Last week we covered the Korite uh, rebellion and uh, how, they, how they rebelled against them. The earth, earth opened up and swallowed them and their whole families. Yeah, we and, so we're going to have a little bit of con- kind of a continuation on that. And, then we, and we had the plague that struck the people. So verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers, and of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write write you every man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be the head of the house of their fathers. And you shall lay them in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I meet you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So we want to look at this because this murmuring is what caused the plague. Okay, they started complaining that Moses had killed the Korites. And so there was the plague, and God said, okay, we're going to do something that's going to end all the controversy. And so he said, take your rods. Now, if you know about the rod, the rod was the, the, was the staff and showed their ownership. And they were, they were quite ornate in one sense because they were decorated and each person knew whose rod belonged to who. And they were dry, dead wood. <laughs> All right. And that's very important for us to understand. They're dry and they're dead. They've been cut and they've been usually in people's possession for a long time. They kept their rods for their staffs for most, you know, most if not all of their life. And the, and the head of the families oftentimes would transfer to the new head of the family. So it was a really old rod. And so what they're doing is they're going to put these rods in the, in the tabernacle, and one of them is going to blossom. Means grow. Grow. Grow, grow new twigs and, and flowers. And that's what, that's what is supposed to happen on all of this. And they take 12 staffs, one from each tribe, which, and they're including Levi in this, which means that Manasseh and uh, Ephraim's would have been one as a Joseph, because they came from Joseph. So we're back to the original 12. And every once in a while, they bounce back and forth. Usually, Levi is not included, in the, but they include Manasseh and Ephraim, which gives Joseph two, two tribes in that. But every once in a while, when they include Levi, they will usually combine Manasseh and Ephraim into one tribe for Joseph. But that is not true all the time either. Sometimes they, I don't know why they pick different tribes to drop off, but they so do. So the rod is a property line thing? Property? Or a staff? Staff. It's oh, a staff. Oh, oh. It's a staff, but it shows authority. Oh, it shows authority. It shows headship. Each head each of the family. House has the rod, right? What's that? The head of the house had the rod. All of them. Most everybody had a staff or a rod, but the the head of the family had an ornate one that showed that he was the boss. The, the boss of that tribe, and each family, the father would have a staff that was head of his his so family. So women didn't have these staffs. Not usually. They might have had a staff, but it would not be for ornate. This. It would not be ornate for or this type of staff. Uh, if they were watching the sheep or just walking, they might have had a staff, but it wasn't. One of 
one of these ones. Okay. So, because it showed authority. So they they brought their name, they brought their staff in, and just in case they would have any confusion, they wrote their names on their staff. <laughs> All right, and uh, they're going to put them in, in the, into the sanctuary. And again, we just bring out the fact that these are dead pieces of wood. This would be the wood that you'd pick up out in the middle of nowhere and say, hey, this makes a good walking stick and, and dry, dry as a bone. It's not green. There's no, no way that what they put in here is going to blossom other than God doing a miracle. And so we want to look at that. It's, this is a miracle that's about to happen. Verse 6, And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, and each prince one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses lifted up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of, of witness, or the tabernacle of testimony. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levite was budded, and brought forth buds, and blossomed, and bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. And Moses brought out the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. You want to talk about a miracle? God said he was just going to make it blossom. Okay, he was just going to grow leaves and maybe some flowers. And you look at this rod, it brought forth buds. So it, and, and brought forth mature almonds. So this dry piece of wood became alive, became alive overnight and grew abundantly fast. Because even if you had an almond tree, you, you didn't see in one night all the green leaves, the blossoms, and the, and the, and the almonds in one night wouldn't happen. And for that matter, you wouldn't see the blossoms, the buds, and the almond on the same tree because of the time it took to grow. You start with the, the bud, the blossoms, and they would become buds. And at that time, you'd have a few of each. And then the blossoms would all drop off, and the buds would turn into almonds. And then you'd have a bud and an almond, but you wouldn't have but one or two blossoms, if, if even that much, because it took months for this to, to happen. So this is a miracle. It's got all three stages of life on, the, on, on it. And it's a, the dry stick has blossomed in the middle of the tabernacle. <laughs> no rain, no water. And even if it had, it still wouldn't have blossomed overnight. So this is a miracle showing forth God's choosing of Aaron to be the priest. It also is very they, brings out the idea that God has chosen his priest, but the, chief, the priest is bringing life to the people. Okay? And it's, she's saying, here's his stick, and here's the person I have chosen, and it you know, symbolically represents that he brings life. Just as all teachers, prophets, pastors, we bring life to people because we expound upon the word of God, and we teach the word of God, and bring life. And can people find life without a teacher? Yeah, you can get into the Word of God and find your own life. But it's a lot easier to be taught and be instructed. And we see that over and over again. The disciples were taught for three years and they really didn't understand what it is they were being taught until the Spirit came into their life. And then they go, oh, now all the stuff that we've been taught makes sense. Paul, when he got saved, went to the backside of the desert for three years in Arabia and was taught personally by the Spirit. But he had also had a lot of teaching in the Word before that. 
So yes, you can learn, but it is so much easier to share what you're learning with others it and to be taught. It me, I, I know. But if I have to read it from a book, I might take four times to catch up. And this is what he's. This is what this sim symbolism is. Here's your teacher. Listen. And, and that is true of us even today. We all need teachers. And I've shared over and over, I need teacher. I need teachers. And I'm always listening to teachers so that I can get little different perspective because I could get stuck in my own understanding, my own thoughts. And by listening to other teachers, I get this input that says, oh, that's different. I've never thought about that or I haven't thought about it that way. And that is one of the biggest reasons we need teachers, to help us expand. If you've ever done anything as, as an expert or something you've done real well, you've done it the same way all the time. And then somebody comes in and shows you some little, little trick to make it simpler. If you're humble enough to listen to that little trick, you might find that you could have made it an easier job all along. And the same thing when we're teaching the word. We all need teachers to help us understand in a different light and a different application. And this is one of the reasons why schools, Sunday schools and everything like to have different teachers at each age group and different groups, groupings, because you can get stuck knowing just what that person knows. And that is a dangerous place to be because that person, if they've stopped learning, isn't giving you anything new. And there are many pastors out there that have done just that. They're going, well, I'm pastor now. I don't have to listen to to anybody else and, and you get stuck with whatever they know and their ap application of it and not a good thing. And this, their people will stagnate and will not grow when that happens. And one of the things that was warned to me early on in my life is, as a pastor, make sure that I study for myself, not just for teaching people. I have to learn, I have to be instructed and so it's very important for me to do that. I do my own Bible reading, I do my own study, and I also listen to a lot of teachers. A lot of good teachers that I, that I appreciate and respect and, and will listen to, their, listen to their teaching, come up with ideas, uh, new thoughts, new ways to look at things, and always encourage people to do the same thing. I don't want to be anybody's only teacher because you're limited on what I know. And so it's very important, and that's why I, I encourage people to be Berean, studying on your own. Go back and sh check out what's been said. And we want this. This is a great place for us to be, and this way life is brought out. And, we, and I've shared, you know, church isn't the end all. You, could, you can come to church all the time and still end up being a bad person if you're not applying what you learn. But by coming to church, you have a greater chance of being a, living a godly life and, and getting away from the bad bad influences. Verse 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again from the, before the testimony to be kept at, for a token against the rebels that you shall quit their, uh, quite take away their murmurings from me, and they die not. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the children of Israel spoke unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever comes Anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Aren't they being not? They're not going to die now? They're not dying now. And this is, this is really a, a crazy statement that they're making. But when you look at what's happened, there's been several times when they've been called to the tabernacle and people have died. Yeah. 
because judgment is falling on them. So now they're starting to associate the tabernacle with death, with death and judgment because we saw the Korite rebellion where 14,700 died. We had the, the murmuring when they were, were murmuring against Moses about their food and thousands died at the tabernacle. So they're beginning to associate the tabernacle not as a blessing and a place to meet God, but as a place of terror and judgment. And it's because they've been so stiff-necked and rebellious that this has happened, but they're coming to Moses. Moses, Moses, and Moses was told, take the staff and put it in the tabernacle. And we know that it actually ended up in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And one of the, anybody else remember the other two things in the Ark of the Covenant? Manna. Manna. Hello, manna. And? The rod that buds and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, very good. So those three things were put into the Ark of the Covenant. And... Here Moses is putting this so that anytime they murmur and complain, you know, you make yourselves the big shots, you can go to the ark and he can go pull this staff out and said, here's the staff that budded. And this staff that budded is going to be mentioned frequently through the scriptures as a reminder. The priestly tribe is Aaron. And they were chosen by the staff that was budded. I don't know that it ever came back out to be shown. I can't remember any place in the Bible where it was and I don't know of any place in history where they took it out, but it's mentioned all the time. Aaron's staff that budded, that was his proof that he is chosen by God. And again, that whole idea of a staff coming to life enough to produce leaves, buds, blossoms, almonds. and almonds. You know, just it's amazing to think of what it did. And all done overnight. And so most the people are coming, you know, behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. And this is not what's happened. Every time they've come to the tabernacle, they haven't died. But there have been enough deaths when they've come that they're starting to get the wrong picture. And we, this is one thing we want to be very careful of. We never want to think of the Word of God as a hammer to hammer people with. And I know a lot of people have had that happen to them, where people have been hammered with the Word of God. This is what the Bible says. You know, you've got to get right. And what that does is really drives people away from the Word of God because they start to fear it. Rebel. They, they rebel, they, re, they fear, like, well, why do I want to go and be around such an angry, vicious religion? And when it's used, in a, when the word is used as a religious tool and hammering people with, with rules, it does drive people away. And God's full of grace and mercy and, he's, and love, and he's saying, come, I've got, I've got good news for you. That's why we preach the good news. Now, the good news that you can be saved from hell. The bad news is hell. If you want hell and you choose hell, that's fine. You can have it. But the good news is God has provided a way out. That's what I told the Mormon boys. What they've been taught is that you have to work real hard and your good has to outweigh your bad to be accepted. And that is the sad part of all, part, sad part of all religion. Whether it be a Christian church that isn't really preaching the gospel where they try to teach you you've got to do more good than bad or the various cults out there, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, you have to do more good than bad. Uh, Catholicism is basically that way as well. You've got to do more good than bad. Uh, all religion is that way. You know, and the, the whole purpose of motivating you is if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be good. You've got to be good, bro. You gotta be a good boy or good girl or you or you won't go to heaven. 
And that's the problem with religion. It's all based on a bunch of rules. And when, Christian, when Christians talk, we know one thing. We're not dealing with rules. We're dealing with a relationship be, with, between us and the Father. And Jesus is the path to that relationship. He died. He washed away our sins so that we have that relationship to go and stand before the Father and say, Father. Abba. You know, Abba, Daddy, Father, whatever, whatever term is, is what, you know, look at. But he, it's that intimate relationship that God gives us it separates Christianity from everything and we need to be careful that we don't get wrapped up in a, a works mentality because works aren't going to get us to heaven we're saved by grace not works right yep for by grace are you saved through faith that and not of yourselves it is a gift of God and it's what I teach every week we we accept that we're sinners and we know that we're well. sinners Know that there's a punishment for that, and that's hell, and that Jesus is that gift that allows us to go to heaven. And it's that simple, and that's what separates us. And once I'm saved, I'm going to do good things because God comes in and dwells me, crucifies my flesh, and he pours out of me. And I do good works because he is the one doing them. But I'm not doing good works because I'm oh, trying to earn favor with God or earn, earn, earn heaven. Right, Blackaby said, you know, if you want to work and do things for God, find out what he's doing and join him. Exactly. Yeah. Not trying to ask him to join us, which is what most Christians will try to do. God, here's what I want to do. Come and, come and help you know, yeah, Come and help me get it done. Uh, and very important that we follow him or lead, let him lead us, follow him. It's the same, pretty much the same thing, but, but we want to be very careful that we're not trying to make him follow us. Right. And a lot of us will try to make him follow us, you know. God, I think this, and it may be a really good idea that you're trying to come up with. And this is what Blackaby, when he says, find out what God is doing and join him, was saying. You may be doing a very good thing. You may be the Sunday school, you know, have this desire to teach kids and being in Sunday school. But God is saying, I'm over here doing this work, and you're over there doing your work, and it may be good. But it's not what God's doing. And we want to be very careful because when we're being led by God, we're going to do what he wants done. And when we go before the Bema seat and our, and our works are thrown into the fire, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, anything that we did. Stubble is pretty worthless. You can't really use stubble for anything. Hay is fairly substantial. You can use hay for some things. You know, it makes good feed for animals and it can strengthen mud, you know, to make bricks and, huh? A mattress. A mattress. Wood is very substantial. You build things out of wood, but they all burn. And that can be anything that we do. Anything that we do in our flesh is going to burn. And it could be anywhere from stubble to wood. What God has done through us is the gold and silver and gems that will be rewarded for. Because what he does is not wood, hay, and stubble and will withstand the fire. So when we are going through the Bema Seat, which is the judgment that Christians go through, and that's the judgment seat of Christ, we go to stand before Jesus, and he takes all of the works that we've done, he throws them in the oven, and comes out to see what comes out. And in, I loved it. One of the pastors that I heard a couple months ago said, and I'd never thought about it this way, he's not throwing our works in to see how much he can criticize and, and blame us for, but he's looking for the silver, the gold, the gems to be rewarded with. He's, he's getting rid of all the garbage. He's, he's like sifting through the garbage and getting, throwing it in and saying, okay, what's garbage and what is, 
what's precious, and he's looking for what to give us praise for. And when he said that, it made perfect sense. Jesus and God are always looking for what can he praise us for. He's not looking at what can I beat them over the head with. And, and I've taught this in various things, but I never applied it to the Bema seat. You know, and I've, and I've talked about it. God's not playing whack-a-mole with us, wait, waiting for us to pop our head up so he can beat us down. You know, that's not what he's trying to do. You know, he's not, he's, and, but there's lots of people that have that vision of God. I always have a vision of God until I became a Baptist. <laughs> well, yeah, because, because if you're working your works-based system, you're always looking at God trying to beat up on you. And so many people have this idea that if I just stick my head up, God's going to smack it. You know, I can't, I can't make, draw attention to myself. God, God is mean and nasty and, and just wanting to beat on me. And when we have that view of God, that's a sad view of God because that's not what he's done. He gave his son so that we can be saved. He gave his son so that we could be accepted and lifted up from the mire and the, and the hiding and bring us up and then reward us for what we allow him to do. And that gives us a lot of courage to be able to go out and do something. If you want to, in a, in a business world, if you want to stop people from being innovative and 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 trying to do better beat them up every time they step out you know step out of the normal the normal routine criticize them you know double you know really pound in their head to make sure whether it's good or not you know but if you want to encourage innovative people you praise them every time they try even if they fail i'm glad you tried now maybe you can think about these things in the future and encourage them and they try more and they get better but if you're always sitting there attacking what they're doing, you're going to drive them down to where they won't do anything unless you've given them permission to do it. And many people have that view of God, that he's out there trying to say, you're not doing anything unless I've given you permission first. And, and the real spiritual person's going, hey, God, I'm going, to go, I'm going to try going through this door, and if it's not the right door, you close it down so I don't make a mistake. And they go out and they try. They go out and they do things. And they, and they challenge God and say, God, I'm going to, I, want to, I want to stand up and I want to do do things that will build the kingdom. And this is why I say, you know, my job in this, in, as pastor here is not to build the Chloride Baptist Church. That is not my job. My job is to build Christians who will go out and serve God, and in the process, he will build this church. Now, granted, as I, as I reach out to people that, you know, that, are, that are here, they're going to stay, and it's going to get built, and we're going to see more people. But my job is not designed to just build this church. If I, if I get somebody and I lead them to the Lord, I'm going to encourage them to go to a church. Go to a Bible teaching church. And that is what we do. And if I build God's kingdom, he builds this church. And probably with most of the people that I, have, <laughs> that I reach out to, but by the same token, it's not my concern. If they want to go to Golden Valley Baptist or Dolan Springs Baptist or drive into Kingman and go to one of the churches there, praise God, they're going to church. As long as it's one of the Bible-preaching churches, it's, I'm happy. And then God will put people in here. It's amazing to me that we get so many people coming from Kingman to come here to this church or Dolan, you know, to drive as far as they do to come here is just an amazing... Because it's you. Well, it's God. It's God working for yeah. you. Yeah. I don't want to take the credit because it could be anybody that God used here. I, I just, I love to teach. I love to teach and I think that's part of what brings certain people here. It's what brings over a thousand people a month listening on, online. 
And this last month, we had over a thousand people again That's listening amazing. online. Yeah. When you think our church is only twenty some people large, and we reach you know a thousand people a month, uh, outside of it is just a mind-boggling. It is. It's mind-boggling, and I don't know how they find us because I mean I'm rigged to rigged uh, rigged the web page to find if they're putting chloride or or Golden Valley, but who's who in Russia is going to search for chloride. for chloride or or Golden Valley? And this none of that makes sense. And yet, this last month, forty percent of the people that that this that came to our website were from Russia. Huh. So I don't I don't know. It's an amazing amazing thing that God does something, and I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and having find out who all these people are that have been listening for this last year and and the rewards that everybody's going to get for supporting the church and allowing this to happen and allowing us to buy the recording equipment and and the website and all that stuff that the church has allowed us to do and and see what God has got in store for us when we get to heaven and how many people have been saved or we've got or they were able to lead others to Christ because of what they learned and it's going to be an amazing thing and I don't say this to brag but it's just an amazing thing it, it, it's humbling to me to know that that many people are listening all over the world and don't know who they are and but it is wonderful and God is telling the people are coming to Moses and saying hey the you know we're all gonna die because every time we come to the tabernacle somebody dies and but that's the warning they got you had to be careful when you came to the tabernacle you had to be ready and if you came with the wrong motives you could die and it was it was said in the law don't come with the wrong attitude and so there is a lot of death you know exposed to that and the people are getting fearful and they were told you know hey we're gonna wander around in the desert for 40 years which they didn't like which we wouldn't like either they but if they had said yes let's go into the let's go in and follow Caleb and Joshua their 40 years would have been over and they would have been in the land and and with no problem but when they rebelled God said nope you're gonna die okay let's look at chapter 18 the Lord said unto Aaron you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood and your brethren also of the tribe of Levi and the tribe of your father bring them with you for they may be joined unto you and minister of, unto you but you and your sons with you shall minister before the tabernacle of witness and they shall keep your charge and the charge of all the tabernacle only they shall not come nigh unto the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar and neither they nor you also that neither you they nor you also die and they shall be joined unto you and shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you and you shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar and there shall no wrath anymore be and there shall be no wrath anymore upon the children of Israel and I behold I have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel to you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation Therefore, you and your sons with you shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. All right, so this is basically bouncing off of this last part of 17, and people crying, we're going to die. Yeah, we're, we're all dying, we're all dying. 
And so the Lord is telling Moses, tell Aaron that his sons and him shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. In other words, when it comes to the sanctuary, they're responsible to keep it pure. And if they don't, they're going to be judged. Okay? So God is now limiting to the people, saying it's not you that's going to, if something happens in the tabernacle, you're not the ones that are going to be disciplined. Now, we're going to see them getting disciplined quite often for rebellion and, and, and all of that. But as far as the sanctuary is going, Aaron and his sons were instructed to keep the people away from various items. And primarily the altar. And we saw the inner, the inner court, the holy place and the holy of holies. And in those place, those, the, the inside the tabernacle was strictly for the priests. And the, and the altar was for the priest to deal with. All right, so we see that aspect. Now, the, the Levites were going to be able to help them butcher the animals and skin the animals and clean everything up and carry things in and out, but they weren't to put things on the altar, and they were not to be dealing with the inside of the tabernacle, and especially in the Holy of Holies. And only one person once a year could go into the Holy of Holies but that hasn't been established yet. Moses has been going back and forth quite often into the, to the mercy seat and, the, and into the Holy of Holies. And we see him doing that frequently. And that, hasn't that rule hasn't gone into place yet. Uh, but right now is where we're starting to see that transition. Okay, only the priest can go in here. Only the priest can go into the Holy of Holies. Only the priest can go in and offer sacrifices. And this is what God's saying. You, Aaron, you and your sons are responsible for this. And they're now going to be the watchmen. They're going to be the ones that says, stay away. You know, if you, if you get too close, you're, you're, it means death. And lots of people like to cross lines. I, I used to be that way. I used to like crossing lines. When I was told you couldn't do something, it's like, tell me I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. I want to go do it, you know, because you said I couldn't. And here's a new line that they're being, being drawn. And this line's pretty serious, you know, death if you cross it. And so the, the ones responsible to make sure that it happens is the priest. They're to keep an eye on that. No, 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 stay away. It's death to go across that line. And so we see this, and it says that they shall keep charge in verse 3, and the charge of the tabernacle, only they shall come nigh into the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, and neither they nor ye also, uh, that neither ye, they nor you also die. So again, he's saying, this is the priest. Stay away. Do not, do not go into the holy place. Do not go into the holy of holies. Do not touch the altar. And this is something that's going to be for all generations. Don't touch the altar. Don't touch the, inner, the, the hooks and the spoon, you know, the, and the snuffers and all the other stuff that we've talked about being created. And verse 4, And they shall be joined unto you and keep charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh to you. So he said, you've been given the Levites. The Levites were a gift to the priest that God said. And remember, God chose the Levites. Why did God choose the Levites to serve him? Does anybody remember? They didn't get any land. Well, they're not going to get any land. And they take care of the tabernacle. Their, their job is to keep, but why did he choose the Levites? There was a, there's a particular reason. 
comes from Exodus, right? It came from Exodus, yes. I remember that. I don't remember the exact cause. All the firstborn of Israel belonged to God. Oh, and so God took the Levites instead of every firstborn. So from that point on, all you had to do is give, give your, your money gift for your firstborn. But the way it was originally, the firstborn would have been taken from each family and put into service in the tabernacle. And God said, no, I'm, I'm going to take the tribe of Levi as the replacement for the firstborns. Okay? Just bring that back to remembrance here. And then God says... Okay, what I have taken, the Levites, which, of course, the priests were part of, he says, because you are special, I'm giving you the Levites. They are to serve under you. They're, they've been given to the priests. So God says, I'm taking my gift that the people gave me, and now I'm giving it to the priests. And this is pretty special when you think about that. God's saying, and this whole chapter is about God giving the, the priest things that was given to him. It's a very wonderful chapter to be into. And he's saying, I'm giving you the Levites. They're, they belong to you, the priest tribe. And it says, and you shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar, and there shall no wrath anymore, and there shall be no wrath anymore upon the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel, and they are to be given as a gift to the for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall keep your priest's office for everything in, of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given the priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and a, and a stranger shall not come nigh. So he's saying, you've been given a gift. Priest, this is, this is your gift. Pastors, this is your gift. Teachers, this is your gift. We all have gifts that he gives us. And in this case, I love the way he put it, that the priests have been given a gift of service. And it's important for all Christians to understand what is your gift? What is your gift before God? Work with it. And how do you find your gifts? Most people want to be just, you know, have God supernaturally speak, you know, this is your gift. The best way to find your gift is keep trying things in the church till you find out something that that God has gifted you to do and you do good do good at it. And this is important because there's jobs that need to be done in a church. And somebody tries working with children and finds out they can't stand being around children, they obviously don't have a gift of, of working with children. Uh, if they get into a Sunday school class as the teacher and, and struggle and, 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 work and can't, can't do it, then they're probably not gifted to be the teacher of Sunday school. And so it is important. I knew that I was called to be a pastor long before I ever became a pastor. I knew that God had done it. And others knew. I've had people calling me pastor most of my life, even though I wasn't quote unquote ordained or, as a, or selected as a pastor, but they saw the gift and the call and, and start, would, would oftentimes you know, call me pastor. And I'm going, well, I'm not officially a pastor. They go, well, God has shown us that you are. And I'm going, okay, because I knew that I would be. So I wasn't going to argue with them because I knew where I was supposed to be and where I was headed. But we need to find out what it is that God's asked us to do. And some, some people spend all their life not knowing what their gift is. Others find their gift quickly. And I love, I love being around evangelists, people who share God's, God's gospel everywhere they go. And they do it so easy. 
And if you talk to them, they don't think they're, they're doing anything special. And that is the one place when you, when, you're, when you don't feel like you're doing anything really special, you can be pretty sure that you're doing God's, that you're in, walking in God's call. I love being a pastor. I love every bit of it because I just, I've been doing it all my life anyway. And it's just what I do, and I don't feel like it's all that, that great. People will tell me how blessed they are, and it's like, okay, great, fantastic. I'll, all I'm doing is enjoying what God has allowed me to do. Today at the prison, I was able to just wander around talking to different people, shared the gospel with a couple of people, uh, you know, and just shared with people. And it was a great time of just ministering to people. And this is where we want to be. What has God called you to do? Go find it. And in doing what I've always done, except now I get a little bit of pay for it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful and it's great. Good attitude. And, but it's been, it is true that once you find something that God has gifted you to do and you enjoy doing, it is no longer work. Yeah. All right, verse 8. And the Lord spoke unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given you the charge of my heave offerings, of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel, unto you I have given them by reason of the anointing unto your sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be, your, be, be yours of the most holy things, reserved from the fire, every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, every sin offering of theirs, every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me shall be most holy for you and for your sons. In the most holy place shall you eat it, every male shall eat it, and it shall be holy unto me. And this is yours, the heave offering and the, of their gift, and the wave offering of the children of Israel. I have given them unto you and your sons and to your daughters with you by the statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thy, your house shall eat it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and, the, and of the wheat and the first fruits, them shall you which they shall offer unto the Lord, which I give given you. And whosoever is first, and whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone that is clean in your house shall eat it. Everything devoted to Israel shall be yours. Everything that opens the, ma the matrix of all the flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be the men or a beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn man shall thou surely redeem, and the firstling of the unclean beast shall you surely redeem. And those that are redeemed from the month old shall you redeem, according to your estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstlings of a cow, and the firstlings of a sheep, and the firstling of the goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy, you shall sprinkle their blood upon the altar, and burn their fat on the offering, made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. The flesh of them shall be yours as the wave breast and the right shoulder are yours. All the heave offerings and the holy things which the children of Israel offered unto the Lord are, I have given you and your sons and your daughters with, with you by statute forever. It is a covenant of salt for every, forever before the Lord unto you and to your seed. Read one more paragraph there. It was a long one. The priests are being taken care of by God by what's given to him. Okay, and that's what this was all about, and we're going to tear it apart a little bit. But in many of the civilizations around them, the priests were very wealthy. Okay, they had land, they had money, they, they basically could have been royalty if they wanted to be, but they were happy being priests. 
If you remember back in, in uh, Genesis 20, uh, 47, 22, uh, Joseph was able to buy all the land of Egypt and all the people of Egypt except what belonged to the priest because they had their own portion from the king. And in Nehemiah, we, if you remember from our classes in Nehemiah, the priests were temporarily being provided for by the king's tribute that was coming to, coming to them. And this was the norm in the land, was that the priests were taken well care of. They, weren't, they, were, they were not quite royalty, but they were, they were on a class almost equal to royalty, but a different, different kind of track. It's, you're the religious people. You are royalty in the religion, so we're going to treat you as royalty, and you're going to get your own land. You're, you're exempt from taxes. You're exempt, and we're going to keep you and pay for you. The priests in Israel did not have that type of relationship. But God more than provided for them when the people were obedient. And we look at this, and it, and it says... Um, it says all the offerings. All the offerings were mentioned, and we've talked a lot about the offerings. You know, Anything that wasn't burnt belonged to them. Or we went back, or, you know, back to the people, as in the one offering of fellowship offering, where they would... Part would go to God, part would go to the priest, and part would go to the, back to the people. But they, when they offered the meal offering, that belonged to the priest. When they offered the, the trespass offering, only the fat and the kidneys and the, would, be, would, be, would be burnt, and the rest belonged to the priest. So the priest had lots of fresh meat. <laughs> lots of it. <laughs> and they had lots of... Uh, hides because they got the hide from the burnt offering. They had all the, the, the meal offerings that were brought to them. The, the drink offerings, except for the little bit that was poured out, went to them. So all of these things are going to go to them. And God's saying, the first fruit offering. We haven't talked about the first fruit until just now. But the first fruit is when your harvest came in, and usually with a harvest you could get more than one, one picking out of. Okay, when you went to grow and pick olives, you'd get the, get the olives, and then the olive trees would reproduce olives, and you'd pick those, and you know, you'd get three, maybe four harvests out of the olives. And so the first one they picked was to go to God. Isn't it the best one? It's the best ones usually, but it was also the one that was by faith. God, I'm going to give you the first one. I know there should be two or three more following more this. Following. There should be two or three more following this, but I'm giving you the first, and if, and if you don't bless us, we're not going to have anything. Because who knows? You could have a fire that wiped out your trees. You could have a hailstorm that wiped out or a locust swarm that wiped it out. So you, it really was a faith step to say, God, you're getting the first of this harvest. And so first fruits is one of their harvests that they, that they were to be given. The, the wave offering, which we talked about, and the, the heave offering that we talked about, uh, they get the best of the oil, the best of the wine, because they're getting the first fruits of all of those. And so this is what we're looking at. And the first ripe of the land that was belonged to them. And everything about that was devoted to God. And the people, the people were given to God, as far as they were concerned. They were given to God, and then God was giving to his servants. And then he later on will tell us that they were to give back to him. Okay, they were to go ahead and, and re-give re back 10%. Well, they were to make sure that they gave to God to be burnt. And so 
And there's a lot of people out there, and there's a lot of pastors out there that don't tithe. Because they look at it, well, if I tithe to the church, then I'm, I'm really paying myself. Well, then tithe to some other church. And if that's the way you think, tithe to some other ministry or some other church. Uh, but it's important that even leaders have that discipline of giving God their, their 10% or more and saying, here, God, I'm, I'm giving you. I'm giving to you because you've given to me. It's amazing how, how God blesses when we, when we honor him. And you know, it, to me, it's an amazing thing because when I, just three years ago, this church was struggling to get three, four, five hundred dollars a month in offerings. And we do that now in a week's time, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're doing, you know, this last month we did over $3,000. God will provide. I'm not, I'm not worried about anything at all because I'm just happy. Because we've gone from a $600 a month budget to this last, you know, this last time we did the budget, we, we put together, uh, what was it, a $2,300 a month budget? And we're meeting that. And we're meeting it. You know, this last month we exceeded it, which I never thought we would. When we put this budget together, I never thought we would hit the budget much more, yeah. much less exceed it because we jumped it by three or $400 for a month. God is changing this church and making, making things happen, and we're going to see great things from it. And who knows, I mean, I don't know how many people we've touched. You know, we're not getting many people saying, I got saved or anything. But for three years in a row, we've been part of a parade that's given, yeah. given out tracts and Bibles to, to hundreds of people that many of them don't live in town. So who knows where they're going and, and how they've been touched and whether they're going to church somewhere else because of what we've done. We're online on the radio. We are reaching out, touching people, and we're not hearing about great salvations, but you know, when we get to heaven, we'll find out, we'll find out if anybody's been touched. And you cannot give God's word out without something being rewarded for all, all of these gifts belong to the Levites, and you know, what, what was given to God basically belonged to them. And so the people gave to, to God, and then God gave to the Levites, who then had to give back to him part of what they what they received. God actually ended up with one-tenth of one, one-tenth of the land. So, but it is very important, and this is why in churches, most, the largest group, largest amount of money usually is paid out to a pastor. You know, the largest percent goes to pastors because the pastors are what's needed to teach and do the service. And it's biblical, because that's what they did to the Jews in the Jewish synagogue. The money went to the Levites and the priests. And in their case, all of it went to them, and they served, and they did the cleaning and all of that. But uh, So we want to look at that and see what's happening. And we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at what you've done. We thank you for your showing us that leaders are important through the selection of, of Aaron, through the rod that budded. We thank you that you, you think of your, the leaders in the sanctuary and the church to be important enough that what is given goes to them. And we thank you that we will see that attitude and movement around in our church. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.